Hey, welcome to another in Off the Circle series. This is Doug Carr of DK New Media, and I have in the house the 10100 Committee. Uh, if you haven't heard of this committee, you're going to learn a lot on today's show. I have Executive Director Jamar Kopdenard and one of the tri chairs, Adrian Slash. entrepreneurs and business people learn from their experience and expertise and have some laughs along the way off the circle the indianapolis business scene as you've never heard it before welcome to off the circle uh this is doug carr with dkd media and let's go around the table shall we stephanie i am stephanie daly with fatherless daughters and general other things I'm Adrian Slash, one of the tri-chairs of the 10-100 Committee. Jamar Cobb-Denard, Executive Director of the 10-100 Committee. Thank you guys for coming in, by the way. Uh, for everybody listening, Jamar and I have been going in circles, I think, for the last 10 years, probably, here Certainly. in the city. Yeah. Uh, so Jamar had a prior uh, a life, if, if, if you will, in the marketing you know, industry, right? Marketing, that sales, yeah. that's right. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so we were both speaking, and I uh, got to be friends with Jamar, and then saw Jamar make the move. He made the move over to the political side of the spectrum, and I was absolutely intrigued. Uh, I think I signed up for your newsletter. I think you emailed, and that was about the ten one hundred committee. And then I started reading about the ten one hundred committee, and I was absolutely astonished. And uh, and Adrian's we talked before the show. Adrian's going to correct me on this, but I was surprised because uh, I've lived all over the United States and never really saw Indianapolis as this diverse city. And yeah. you corrected me, right? I did, because we are close to 30%. Um, African-American population here in Indianapolis is close to 30%, which is actually double the national average in cities our size. We're larger. And so it's an actual natural place for us to um, be leading in an initiative like this one. Mm-hmm. And I mean, in addition to African-Americans as well, I don't know the numbers, but add to that, um, uh, our immigrant populations, Hispanic, mm-hmm. um, Asian Americans. And one of uh, the largest Burmese populations. You got it. So uh, Indianapolis is really a great melting pot, salad bowl, whatever you want to call it. Um, even Everyone's though, here. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of folks here. Right. And uh, for people listening, I'm going to read from the site just because it's worded so well. Uh, the mission of the 10-100 committee is to facilitate the election of 10 members of color in the U.S. Senate and 100 members of color in the U.S. House of Representatives serving concurrently by 2050. The vision of the 10-100 committee is to raise monies that are uh, invested in developing a pipeline of candidates of color that will populate campaigns down ballot through Congress with qualified servants who represent values within communities of color. The 10-100 committee begins its mission in Indiana to recruit board members, learn the landscape of PAC leadership, and support successful candidates. And then the model will be replicated across the country, state by state, and to federal races. Um, which is, uh, you know, that's why I was intrigued was I'm a political, ju- political junkie. Don't follow me online. Cause you, <laughs> you might not like what I say. Are you still following me? I've had like a lot of juicy posts lately. I've seen no trolling from you. you haven't- <laughs> Maybe it's Facebook's algorithm screwing us up. Yeah, it it is. It yeah. is the like-minded thing. <laughs> Trying to make sure you don't see each other. You know, I, I've calmed down on Facebook a little bit because, uh, and this is just being honest is that I have a lot of friends that we have we we oppose each other's viewpoints mm-hmm. 
and the medium doesn't do us well. So, so here's part of the, the problem with polarization and what's happened in Washington and what I think has happened throughout the country, um, and especially through Facebook and or the media that we follow, be it radio, television, internet articles, etc., um, <clears throat> is that we only see what we think. We only see what we think. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So um, then everybody starts to feel and think that ev- that um, everybody else is up against either side of the wall in the room mm-hmm. about gun control or right. abortion or schools or economic development or whatever the political or government topic is. Um, and uh, I think that from a, a public service standpoint uh, and public policy standpoint, um, let's not get into net neutrality, but like um, how these media companies are curating what we see is impacting what's happening with no doubt. government. No oh, doubt. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. and I'm a, I'm a little on the different side. So I do the thing that everyone tells you not to do. I read the comments. Well, you can find me in the comments um, as a as a person who has a lot of political interests and who is a, a bit of a political junkie. But um, as a hopeful future elected official, I think it's really important that we know what people are thinking and how they genuinely feel. And that's what you find in the comments. I think people say what they really are thinking or perhaps what they wouldn't say to your face. Mm-hmm. I think they say it in the comments. Yeah, but I think that it's it's also, you know, something of note when you realize that those same people have their real name next to them yeah. with their actual employer, family photos, and that sort of thing. It kind of really helps you to understand where they're coming from yeah. and what their thoughts are. And quite frankly, I think that those are the folks that you can't discount. Um, and you at least need to understand where they are and mix them in with the people that you know and the way that they think and mix them in with the people that you know know. You know, kind of like take your whole network and then also understand the people who are in the comments. Mm-hmm. I, I think the maybe the root of uh, what they feel or whatever is there, but the way the way people say it because it's text yeah. is wrong. And yeah. and oh, that's yeah. where I would never I would never talk to someone across the table the way that I speak to them in a debate on Facebook. Right. Right. And that's and that's where I backed off. That's where I mm. a lot of it's really funny because so many people unfollowed me that I literally have people say, you know, like, oh Doug and his politics on Facebook. Well, I haven't talked politics on Facebook in you know, and I mean politics, like absolutely, you know, getting into a debate with someone probably in a year. And it's like, no, no, no. What you'll see, what you'll see because you're in my network is you'll see me respond to other people's. Okay. But I mean, as far as publishing my own and taking that. See, I would think about it this way. So kind of, kind of process it from a a completely different place. Um, Political science major, um, worked in politics full time, um, and I've always lend my voice and my hands to local politics. Um, three years ago, five years ago, ten years ago, politics were not mainstream. Only political junkies were cool with them. Um, Facebook didn't really have any type of a playing field for conversations around um, politics or policy or just even people who are somewhat in the playing field. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now it's prime time. It's it's right out there. It's it's kind of one of those things where the environment is ripe and ready. Um, we just have to figure out how we're going to police ourselves in, in public discourse so that we can actually be civil. 
That's a right. great way. Of, that is a good. And way. so that's why. That see, that's why you're on the radio and TV. Is that you said it so much better than I would. That's why. Yes. Yeah, I mean, let's talk about civility a little bit. Sorry to interrupt. Um, uh, but one of the things <clears throat> I'm really impressed about with uh, Adrian, and one of the reasons I'm really glad that she joined our effort to um, create more diversity in political leadership, is um, Adrian is uh, African American, a woman. Republican, moderate, and willing to have a conversation and sit in rooms with people that are completely um, not like-minded than her right? and have a civil discourse um, about how we move our city or our people or our country forward. And I think we need more people like her um, uh, in the seats in, uh, in City Hall than some of the folks that are dividing us. I totally agree. I Do you, do you feel a part of that is that it's Indiana. I always feel like Indiana politics, like an Indiana Democrat and an Indiana Republican aren't really representative of, you know, the, what we see nationally. I feel like they really work together here a lot better. I think that we have a local climate that um, discourages people from not working together. So, um, but then you look around the state, and I used to tell people when I worked day to day in party politics that um, the Republicans you see on TV and the Republicans that you see grassroots organizing and working for the party are two completely different people. Oh, yeah. And you actually need to get to know the grassroots folks because they are the heart and the soul of the party. And I think that that's where you see your similarities is the heart and soul of the Democrat Party, the heart and soul of the Republican Party are genuine people. They're hardworking people. Right. They care about their families and their livelihoods. And, you know, there is no Republican or Democrat way to pave streets or um, plow snow or remove trash. Totally agree, yeah. That totally reminds me of this story. Um, so I'm 36, I'm single, and I was going on, well, trying to talk to this young lady, right? And she said, I would never date you because you're a Democrat. I said, well, what does that mean? And then she went on to say, you know, I don't like this about Democrats. I wouldn't say that I'm a Republican, but, um, you know, I generally fit in the Republican box. I said, well, where'd you get your opinions about what Democrats or Republicans believe? She said, the TV, wrong place. Yeah. Right. Because uh, right. just like Adrian said, the people that are really running the parties are here and they're our neighbors and they're the folks that are showing up as precinct committeemen at 5 a.m. on election day and, you know, with coffee in hand to make sure that people vote and have access to the polls. And um, they're the people that are knocking door to door and right. Like, it's not the pundits that you see on TV. Real politics happens locally, and the way to change it also mm -hmm. happens locally. Yeah, and I think that so that's what actually drew me to the 10100 committee. So, all the things that you read are finding great, wonderful words. Thank you, Jamar, for putting them together. But 10100 was very attractive to me as a former candidate, as a person who's done a lot of grassroots work, who's been a part of the organizing efforts. We need more people like the people on the ground actually running for the offices. And so, um, you know, there's a lot of stuff that you hear in campaign school, and there's a lot of stuff that you hear um, when you go to very partisan places or if you go to fundraisers that would turn you completely off of politics. But then there are wonderful people who are really connected to the city. They know a lot about the ways that it works and they know who they need to talk to if they want to do certain things and they know how it works. And if we were to catch them before they get kind of, I guess you could say, corrupted by the big ego idea of what it could be to be an elected official and you could catch them and get them through some training and get them access to resources and get them the opportunity 
to genuinely represent their constituency um, in a way that's not partisan leaning, but in a way that's moderate, um, in a way that's productive for everyone, um, the world could be a really cool place. And then if you toss on representation and you pull out a person who looks like their neighbors and gives, um, gives opportunity to have voice in a conversation that brings completely different perspective, I think that um, we could see Indianapolis progress along quite a bit, and then we could also see the country move that way too. I love that uh, you actually open it up because I was going to, as a, as a white old guy, I was going to have a problem like saying, so let's talk about color, you know, but <laughs> no, that's great because this is, this is challenging yeah. everybody to have a conversation about color and not in a, um, uh, angry vitriolic no. yeah. way, but in a, like, I appreciate diversity and I want to make sure that my neighbors and family members who I love are also represented just like I am. Right? Well, and that's, and that's where I was going to go is, is, uh, you know, 300 million years of evolution, right? We tend to gravitate towards people that look, sound, act, have same politics as us, same religion, everything else. And so there's a natural tendency for people to get in their pockets. And it's got to be a terrible thing to be a minority and only see white people, you know, in, in leading posi uh, positions. And I'm not saying good or bad, whether they're a great leader or whether they're a terrible leader, it, there's got to, you've almost got to feel a disconnect that I really don't have representation. And that's why, you know, that's why I wanted to get you guys on the show is because that's what I think is absolutely critical here is that we don't want people turning their backs on politics because that's, that's obviously what drives our, you know, drives the, the, our economy, regulation, rules, growth, civic, you know, schools, everything. And so the worst thing that we want to do is push people away. Yeah. We want to pull people in. Locally, but, we have a lot of apathy also. And I think that lack of representation and lack of quality candidates um, is, a, is a huge cause of that inside of, you know, communities of color specifically. And I think that um, if you're looking at the city of Indianapolis and you're looking at our, vo our voter turnout efforts, it's not that the parties don't do huge get-out-the-vote drives, right? It's not that our nonprofits and our social organizations don't do the best that they can to get people out also. Um, the education is there. Our registration numbers are definitely there. We're registered. We just don't show up. And so I think the 10-100 locally could play a huge part in driving our numbers up, um, through some awareness and through, you know, hopefully when we pick our candidates in the near future, that might drive some numbers for, um, for the primary season. And then, um, you know, you never know what you can do until you actually have someone there that looks like you that you can choose from. Right. So I like to take this conversation even to the next level because um, seeing and feeling a disconnect uh, between the people who, um, feeling disconnect between the people that we see representing us is part of the issue. But uh, Mrs. Obama, when she was here last month, talked about, <laughs> we've got her. like worship hands. Yeah, because she was fantastic. She did great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was incredible. Um, but she said something that really struck me, and it was when you have the same people at the table, you get the same results. Right. Yeah. And um, so this thing, part of it is about seeing people that look like us and being more attracted to the polls and to the ballot and engaged, but also it's about solutions. So. Um, like, I don't care if you're black, brown, any shade of whatever, um, you still need good schools. Right. And our schools in many places in Indianapolis and Indiana and our country 
are failing our kids, especially for communities of color. Um, no matter what your color is and who you see, um, there are still food deserts where people don't have access to fresh food. Um, there are still places where you can't have, you don't have good access to healthcare, and still places where um, there's so much um, uh, crime or uh, over uh, policing or under policing or whatever you want to put it, under judging, over prosecution. Yep. Like there's a bunch of issues there. Um, we need to have people with new, fresh ideas that also understand what it's like to maybe come from one of those neighborhoods right. Right. and yeah. the impact of that stuff. Right. So, um, yeah, I want to see some people on the ballot on the TV that look like me, um, but I also want to change the thought that's going into the policy that can change our neighborhoods. And I think that that's um, one of the the biggest hopes, dreams, and wishes that we could have for 10-100 is to drive um, the level of impact that elected officials can have based off of their personal experience, based off of what they know, where they come from, and sharing that voice at a larger um, in a larger space and making the impact actually felt back at home. Oh my gosh, you guys are great. <laughs> I know, we don't really need to be here. Yeah, what do you <laughs> We're kind of really well, excited about this. Like we've been working on this for a year and now we're about to pick candidates. Like we're, yeah. we're, we're getting, um, we're getting to the point of, you know, seeing our baby be born. Well, let's, let's talk about that. How did it start? Yeah. So, um, Congressman Carson, this is actually like, um, how this started is exactly how we want to continue it. So Congressman Carson sent me to DC for a week of training with the Congressional Black Caucus. Um, everything was paid for, right? I, at the time, uh, didn't have a job. I was in school. So uh, do you want to go to DC for a week for training? And I was like, it was paying for it. We're going to pay for your flight, your food, your Ubers, your everything, right? Like, just go. Um, so I just got to sit there and listen and absorb. And I also got to learn about campaign finance, the intricacies of PACs and federal PACs and state PACs and um, independent expenditure PACs and uh, collaborative PACs, right? That's like the messy stuff that most people of color do not have access to that level of education and information. Right. None. So um, then we're headed to the Hill and I was like, well, I better look up to see who the CBC members are because I didn't know. So I was Googling in this bus and I noticed that we had only had 10 senators of color in 250 years of America's history. Really? Your face tells it all, Stephanie. Like, you're, you're there. I mean, that is crazy yeah. to me. Um, so then I started doing some, um, some uh, you know, conversation research because we had people there from all over the country. And I said, so why don't we have as many um, representatives and congressmen and women um, that are, um, at the time, I was just focused on African-American. And the overwhelming two points that everybody came to is, number one, uh, funding. Uh, their campaigns are woefully underfunded. Um, actually, um, almost 50% less well-funded than women's campaigns across the country. So, right? Right. Wow. Um, and then second was training. So you can have, you know, some fired up person that wants to change their community, but they have no idea how to uh, run data and run field and fundraise and right. Like all the things that go into a campaign, it's a mini business that you have to run right. for one to 16 months. And Adrian knows this running for Indianapolis city council. I mean, it's, it's a big effort, right? And very rarely do you actually have a candidate of color who's ever worked for the machine them itself mm -hmm. before becoming a candidate. So they are depending upon advisors to help them through it all versus um, candidates 
that may already have the the keys to the kingdom. They might have a war chest of money. They might have all of the knowledge. They might also have the blessing of the the greatest official that there ever was in their city, right? Mm -hmm. And that's who we're competing against. And that comes from generational knowledge as well, right? Um, And that happens in a lot of industries and positional power and in politics, it applies as well. so basically I got back and I was like, we've got to change this Filed for a pack, uh, because I learned about it two weeks before. Right. And then pulled together 17 of the brightest minds that I could to say, Hey, we have to figure this out. Cause when we looked across the country, um, there were only a handful of, uh, programs like this that were focused on people of color. Um, There are about 60 for women, and women are actually leading the charge across the country in programs like this um, uh, to make sure that women get to the next level and get into the halls of Congress, but very few for for people of color. Um, So, I mean, these are uh, people who are um, baby boomers all the way to millennials. We've got uh, Republicans and Democrats, uh, people that have run for office, people that are currently in office, some people that are uh, research scientists and others that are just really passionate about what we're doing, right? Mm-hmm. We even we have some white members of the pack too. It's important. To, <laughs> I'm a diversity and inclusion so. person for, <laughs> yeah. for a living, so I talk about race all day and it's fine. Yeah. Nobody's died. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's okay. Yeah. And so I look at um, 10100 as um, the resource that I would have needed Um, independent of me running um, at the appointment of my party's um, chairman. So thankfully, I I got in um, because my chairman asked me to. And when you get in because your chairman asks you to, it does make things a whole lot easier. You didn't have, I didn't have to go through slating. It was afterwards. Um, And I was running in the area that I've lived in my entire life and where my entire professional career has been and my volunteer career spans my entire district. And so the, my level of comfort was was really high to hop in anyway. Um, but I continuously think about all of the strong men and women that I know that would make amazing candidates who are like, I don't even know what to do. What kind of forms do I have to fill out? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my, my boss is a Democrat. She just filed for the first time to be a precinct committee person. And I went with her to help her make sure she filled everything out all right. Um, it is very rare that people actually have access to that kind of level of resource of this is where you go. This is how you get in the building. This is where the clerk's office mm-hmm. is. And, and it's scary. It is. It's very scary. Yeah. Um, and so I think having a resource like 10100 to not only be mobilizing or getting the troops excited, but also preparing the, the training. Also, um, if not providing any, paying for it so you can go. If not paying for it, because you already have what you need there, maybe you become our preferred candidate. We can put money behind you. Um, It's all of those things that uh, most candidates of color don't have unless they just get it from their party. And being a candidate of color and having your party behind you generally is not enough because you might need your party and you might also need people from across the aisle. That's the true story. I am. Oh, this raises a thousand questions. I'm fascinated by this because you went to school for political science. Um, and so this has been your career, mm-hmm. right? Um, well, I only professionally did it for two years. Okay. Then I walked away a little bit. Why, why is it a mystery? I mean, honestly, I, is it a... Is it the system wants to keep things hush-hush so that the powers that be can well, kind of filter it their wasn't, own um, It wasn't prime time until, you know, the most recent races, right? So in, in what, in 08, we, we kind of got a little prime time. 
mm-hmm. more people got involved. Oh. Then, you know, Obama's second race kind of got a little more people like, okay, great. We can try to keep pushing this. Then it made the news when we started getting some like non-mainstream candidates. They're yeah. like, we're going to do this thing. And so people are watching today's modern reality television show, and it's playing out on our news networks, right? Yeah. And so now that we have it playing out on our news networks, we're talking about people getting in. My biggest fear when we start talking about all the women that are ready, because I disclosure here, I'm also a board member at Women for Change, but um, we have a lot of new candidates, um, and we have to have structures in place to help them get past um, issues that they might run into trying to challenge someone within their party or right. running against slates. Right. They need real resources. And that's where 10-100 can kind of definitely come in and be a helper. It's where um, having organizations that understand that now you're excited, now you're running, now you're ready, but you need stuff. So, yeah. and when I graduated from college, um, I moved to Indianapolis a month later and told my uh, neighbor that I wanted to uh, be a politician at some point in my career, but I had really no clue how to do it. And I spent my first, I don't know, seven or eight years in this city just trying to figure it out, like having coffees with people over and over and over and over and keeping those notes. I mean, I have notes, Melissa Thompson, she was one of the first people I met with in 2010 or 11. She's one of our board members now. We worked here in this building together. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And she was, she, she kept saying in Starbucks on the circle, she was like, I'm a Republican, but I'm still going to help you. Right. And it was kind of cool. She's still doing that to this day, but I had to, I had to fight to get the information. Um, and uh, now we've got resources like Women for Change, 10100 Committee, and others that are trying to pull the information together so that people can accelerate through the process faster. Yeah, because for the longest, candidate schools have only been run by parties. Okay. Um, candidate trainings and leadership programs and only that, run by parties, and they kind of self-select. Yeah. Or you have to have a sponsor to get in. And if you don't have a sponsor, then you got to go and kiss someone's ring to get a sponsor so that you can get in. Um, and... Until recently, when politics became mainstream, no one has really cared since like Vietnam, right? Your face says it all. Like nobody has <laughs> cared what was going to happen and if they could get involved. They kind of just let those folks in Washington do what they do. The folks at the state house were really apathetic about where it goes. But it's reality television that we're all watching. And if you look at if you look at ratings, I don't think anyone's watching anything else. And if they're not watching anything else, then we might as well pull those people off the sidelines, off their couches, get them trained up, and help them either learn how to support a candidate, learn how to go door to door with candidates, because I'm, I'm a female, in case we didn't pick that up, but um, I can't knock on doors as, it, as the sun sets by myself. I have to have a team of people with me. Like I can't go door to door alone. And I think that we need people to understand campaign finance. I think we need to understand that your candidates do need your money. You know, you, yard yeah. signs are not cheap. That's not something that's, that's inexpensive. Um, but until we have folks other than parties talking about how politics works, we will continue to only have partisan versions of how politics works. Right. And we can't afford that. The, the, the way that the world is going, we can, um, especially as a millennial, I can say this, we are moderate. We believe in the right thing to do. We want things to be right for future generations. And a lot of times you can't have spin to make that happen. Yeah. This, uh, this, this is going to be the uh, politically incorrect question. Um, <laughs> uh-huh. Well, uh-huh. does the fact that you know we have a Donald Trump as president does that give hope that 
there's possibilities for anybody to attain, you know, the highest office in, in the land. And that's not, I don't want to rip on him or anything no, like no. that. I'm saying someone that was 100% totally outside of the realm of politics actually is now running the country. Does that give opportunity that, that the average person should open their mind and say, look, doors can be opened. So Donald is not as outside as he wants to make okay. himself out to be. Um, one of the first conversations I had, those coffee conversations where, um, you know, it was, here's how you get into politics. They said it was three things. You've got a name. So a family name that puts you in. Um, second, you work your tail off. Uh, so you've been um, a volunteer and then an intern and then a staffer and then a boom, 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 boom. Right. And you work your way up to the White House. Yep. Um, or and would that be like a President Obama? Yes. Mm, in, some in some ways. Yeah. Um, um, and then the third way is you give a lot of money. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I haven't looked at Trump's giving over the course of his you know, Everyone life and career. Everyone on both sides of the aisle, all over the place, all right. over the country. Yeah, right. Yeah. I always joke with people. I always think it's funny that he he gets known as this far right wing individual when no. <laughs> ten years ago he was all over the map. So and and so my my thoughts on this as a, as a person who now knows that every book I ever studied needs to be thrown out. I get really, really excited because it means that um, a lot of the barriers to entry pretty much are out the door. I yeah. also think some things that we've learned from having our current president is the fact that sex scandals no longer a problem. Right. Which is nuts. Off the table, right? Um, foul language, off the table. Not being politically correct, off the table. Yeah. Um, and I mean, it's not we only, to, we, need to we would love to put it back yeah. on the table, but yeah. like we also have other examples, Anthony Weiner, right? Yeah. Right. So with all those things being off the table, a lot of candidates that generally would never have opened their lives up to scrutiny, mm -hmm. you can now say, hey, you got that skeleton, but it's nothing like that guy's skeleton. So let's go give it a shot because you got great ideas, you've got great energy, and you genuinely love your neighbors. Well, we so need let's to, go get you out there. That's inspiring. I, I, yeah, it is. And I, I, I always feel like uh, I was telling someone today uh, uh, commenting i didn't start the argument online but um uh -huh. you know someone was uh, <laughs> I'm someone, gonna look. someone did the question of how could a christian fundamentalist vote x you know and and basically open it up and and i said well uh, you know in my own in my own christianity i don't worship men <laughs> right i don't look to a political office as this god i look at it as a a person of my equal and that's the way the country was was founded and I, and I feel like what you're saying there is really, really critical because women and men are flawed. Yes. We're, we, we're all flawed. We, we sin, we make mistakes, we, um, we fail each other, we fail in our personal lives, in our business lives, everything else. And it's time that people got over that. Yeah. And it's time that people looked at what is your intent? Is your intent to, to help your community? Then let's look beyond... Yeah, you and know. so I mean, if you also look locally, we've got a city council, a city county council that actually's got a little flaw in it too, right? And they're still in offices, right? Flaws. Yeah, I said flaws. Flaw. Yeah, we've got, we've got <laughs> flaws in there too. And so, 
I'm not asking anyone to pick and point, but I am asking you to realize that people are human yeah. and that people can still govern and be human and have skeletons in closets. Whether we like them or not, I think that in the coming year's elections, we are going to make a determination on if this becomes the new normal yeah. or if we're not going to put up with it. And the beauty of it to me is that the tide's turned enough that we could answer that question, at least for another generation. Well, and our, our lives are online now too, yeah. right? The, our leaders of tomorrow are making their mistakes and putting it in mm -hmm. a permanent record today. Yeah. You know, so so I, I do think that, that there's absolute hope there that yeah. we don't have to have these finely tuned, tweaked mirages of, right. you know, we of what we can be. We can get people to have outstanding life experience yes. and wonderful thought and vision um, and the opportunity to be able to make difference and make change and create um, the cities, the states, the countries that we all choose to live in. That's Man, you guys are uplifting. This is. <laughs> I mean, that I, you can choose to see the, the the glasses half empty or half full, and I think that this is not the world going to hell in a handbasket. Yeah. This is more so the world putting everything out on the table yeah. and deciding if we're cool with it or if we're not. And I think that our coming elections will prove that. Yeah, because mm -hmm. P.S. That stuff was happening anyways. It, but was, it was just happening. a facade. Like it I was. remember watching right uh, like this JFK story. Uh, I forget which movie it was, but I got to the end. I was like, ah. Oh, I can never be president because I'm nothing like John F. Kennedy. Well, yeah. but affairs have been happening since the beginning of time. There have been porn stars in almost everybody's life story somewhere. And almost all of these, you know, if you... Not, not mine. Well, I'm saying, like, if, you're, if, you, if you watch That's a lot of... That's disappointment. If you watch a lot of documentary <laughs> or if you read a lot of biographies or if you, if you take the time to look into memoirs, um, most of our most highly held um, faces of history have had flaws right. that are literally the exact same proportion that we're seeing currently. I agree. And they still were able to do amazing things. Am I excusing it? No. Yeah. But it's still the natural thing and it happened. Well, for, for a long period of time, though, it also appeared, um, and this is where I could get in trouble with listeners, but, but it also appeared that the media had that kind of off limits. That and I always tell people that in my in, this is just my personal opinion was I really felt like the the Republican Party did a disservice when they went after Bill Clinton really hard, and I and I and I and I feel like that was the beginning of we have to you know there was almost a sense of we have to publicly embarrass him knowing that it's not going to do any better or worse for the country but we're going to do that and that I felt like tailspin then it was. President Obama, then it was, you know, now like everything now is personal life. Yeah. You know, and I'd, all... I'd like to see this be the setup of let's throw the personal life out the door. Let's, yeah. let's hope that these folks will hold themselves to a presidential um, a, a set of values. Yeah. Um, but let's see how they govern. Well, I, j I joke with people sometimes, sometimes you need a jerk to run a company. Right. I mean, I would I'm prefer not... you to like people that work for you and treat them kind. Absolutely. And not have like hidden videos of like how you're <laughs> caring for people in their offices. And I would love for you to just be great. Be respectful. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that like if you look to the millennial generation, we're the largest generation on the planet right now. And um, if we had to pick things that we valued, we would value respect for each other. We would value empathy. We would value fairness. And we would value um, using money wisely because I think that the majority of millennials are likely fiscally conservative in their private lives because of the time in which they came out of college, yeah. the recession. And so because of that, I think that that's a value that we hold for all of our elected officials. We don't want our money that we've given you wasted. Yeah. 
We want to see that you are caring for our fellow citizens well. And we want to understand um, that you know that our futures are on the line and the futures of our children is on the line. I like what you're saying there too, because there's an uh, important part of that. And that's that, uh, and something that I think has been somewhat lost and that's um, a a self-respect for the office that you hold. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's, and that's, I, you know, I feel with this presidency and we can, you know, whether people like Trump or not, I'm not trying to bash him again, but I feel like that's something that's off the table with him. He just doesn't care how the, how the office looks. He's just going to be Trump. And, and, uh, and I hope that comes back. Well, you know, and, and so to just drive it back to the 10-100 committee, I think we have a, a serious set of values that we're hoping for out of all of our candidates. Awesome. Um, and that kind of fits in there. It, it fits in the value system. We want, to, we want to make sure that we're doing a lot of good. And that's, that's it. Let's, let's get to that. How do we as a community, this is an incredible opportunity for people to get involved. How do we get involved with the 10-100 committee? What do you want our listeners, you know, because I I think this is, this isn't just, you know, about minorities, in my opinion. This is about a grassroots efforts to get equal representation and a diverse representation that we need, you know, uh, for politics to absolutely explode and do fantastic work for a community. So what can, what can we do as citizens to support you guys? Yeah, there's three things. So uh, the first is go to 10100committee.com. That's the word 10, the number 100, and the word committee.com. So there on the contact page, you can follow our blog and get updates. Um, We've got a lot of uh, progress happening throughout the year, and the best way to follow it is turn by turn. Um, and as people see things that are interesting, uh, opt in, get in, and uh, fit in, right? Um, that's 10100committee.com. Um, second is recommend a fellow. Later on this year, we're going to start a fellows program where we'll essentially scholarship uh, political newbies into political programs, very similar to the one that inspired us to start this movement, um, and make sure that people have barriers removed to attend and learn and get engaged and plugged in. Now, here's the thing. Um, Adrian and I and Stephanie and Doug don't know everybody that's mm-hmm. everybody, right? That right. could be involved. So we need referrals of fresh new blood that we can yeah. get plugged in. Other than that, we're just going to be scrolling around looking for them on, online, right. trying to find who's got the, the best ideas. And I've been in. doing that, like yeah. following people like, why are you following me? Because I want to, you know. Because I need to know you. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's the best answer. That's how it works. I need to know <laughs> Don't you. worry about it. I just need to know you. <laughs> <Don't worry. laughs> so follow us, um, send us a fellow, and then third, give. Um, people don't like money in politics, but the reality is, Money runs politics. Right. And if you want to be successful, you've got to compete. Um, so there's a couple of positions we could take. One is uh, let's try to tear down campaign uh, finance, right? And not raise any money. But the reality is those people aren't running office because they're not raising money. And so, you need money for everything from T-shirts to a simple letter in the mail to yard signs. Right. You websites, need money. Websites, marketing. everything. You need money. Right. Um, so give. We've got a couple ways to give. The easiest way is to become a member of the 10100 committee. It's 25 bucks a month, and you get a regular gift from us. Uh, right now I'm working on uh, – actually, I won't spoil the spoiler, but um, – uh, we're working on some pretty cool gifts to make sure that uh, you know that you're appreciated, but uh, your membership is really what's going to help take us to the next level. That's fantastic. Well, I, 
I, I wish we could speak for another hour. This is a, we'll have you guys back. How's that? That'd be great. So yeah. thank you so much for what you're doing because I think this is absolutely critical. So uh, everybody listening, go to 10ten100committee.com. Absolutely uh, sign up for the newsletter, contribute, uh, and and keep an eye on, on this. This is an important part of our community. Thank you. Thank you. There we go. Boom. If you're an Indianapolis-based professional and would like your story to be heard on Off the Circle, contact us at offthecircle.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe to our podcast and leave us a glowing review. Off the Circle is recorded at DK New Media's podcast studio at the Speakeasy in downtown Indianapolis.